Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Last week, we heard from Reverend Barry, his total message uh, from Ezekiel, and we're going to continue in Ezekiel this morning. And I might be doing what uh, could be called wake-up call two. Or maybe I could also title this, uh, God does not delay. So either one that you want to go with this morning, wake-up call two, or God doesn't delay, that's where I'm going to be talking from this of prophet Ezekiel. And we heard a little bit last week about, you know, the poor guy. He had a hard life. 25 years old, studying to be a priest. Now think about that for a minute. You're in uh, this storied town of Jerusalem. It is the center of your faith. The temple is there where God's presence resides. You're studying to be part of that. You're studying to be a priest. You're 25 years old. You're looking forward to your ordination when you're 30. But instead, what happens? Here in his beloved city of Jerusalem, it's seized by a foreign power that takes this young man captive along with a a whole host of others who are strong, who can do work, And they're taken to the outskirts of a foreign land called Babylon. And they're put to work. They're put to work. They're assigned jobs. And they became canal diggers, ditch diggers, uh, if you will. They were making irrigation channels for this great, great city of Babylon. That's what their jobs were. That's what they were working on. Ezekiel was by this river called uh, Kebar, And that's where he received this vision you heard about last week and his calling. And from then, this guy was asked to do some really bizarre things. Really strange. And if you've been reading along in our reading plan through the book of Ezekiel, it's one thing after another. Hard enough that God called him to be the prophet. But now he's not only called to preach the message, but he's got to dramatize it. He has got to act it out in order to capture the people's attention. Maybe this will help to get people to take notice. Maybe they'll see these signs. Ezekiel had to do some really wacky stuff. Ezekiel, lay on your left side for 390 days. That's over a year. A guy's got to get up go out in front of his house, lay down on his left side and uh, cook bread over dung. He's got to lay on his right side then for 40 days. Now, this was all signs. This was all about the sin of the people. The 390 days, it had significance. The 40 days had significance for, for the years that the people had abandoned things like God's Sabbath. Ezekiel was told to you know, go about and doing some things like stomp and clap. All right. How bizarre is that? All right. Go. You just don't preach, but you got to go do that. Cut your hair. Shave your head. Keep some of the hair. Uh, 
keep about a third, throw a third, or scatter it, and then burn a, a third. Again, all signs to the people. A third of you are going to be scattered. A third are going to be burned. Maybe there's be about a third that'll be a left to live. He was told once to dig a hole through his house. Dig a hole and uh, crawl through it with uh, your uh, possessions on your back. And I love the King James. If you've read the King James version of this, in Ezekiel chapter 12, <laughs> he, he keeps going over and over. Take your stuff. Put your stuff. I kept thinking, we got so much stuff in this country. Imagine if we were called to put a hole in the side of our house and take our stuff on our back. Take your stuff on your back, Ezekiel. I'd have to put a garage door in my, in my house to put my stuff. We got so much stuff. So he was told, crawl out with your belongings on your back. Why? Well, because it's a sign to you people. You're going to be taken captive, and you, maybe you'll get a, a rucksack on your back, and that's it. You're going to be crawling out. Well, he's told to go before the people and shake and tremble before them. Imagine I'm preaching up, imagine I'm preaching up here like this. Right? It's again, to, to get the, he's trying to capture their attention. And it ain't working. And God told him to do more and more. Just keep reading through the book. It gets worse. All these bizarre things. This is what the man was called to do. And we, we heard about that calling last week. How Ezekiel had to wake up. Because you know, he was on the, the side of the river and he was dumbfounded for seven days. He couldn't even speak. You had to wake up and then stand up. Tell the people to listen up. You know, go up, get closer to God. And then be people that speak up. You know, this is what we were encouraged last week to emulate. You know, and to understand, Reverend Barry said that, you know, God gave Ezekiel this calling, but he gave you the calling too. He gave every one of us a calling. We're on a mission from God. You know, have you received your mission? Do you know your mission? Or do you still need to wake up? You know, we might wonder when people seem to be in a stupor, sleeping, ignoring what's happening all around them, ignoring clear warnings, like a guy who's going to all these efforts to shake and tremble and clap and stomp and to lay on his side and build models of a little city and all these crazy things and just ignore it. The people ignored Ezekiel and all these peculiar one-man shows he was putting on. We wonder, how, how could it happen? How could people ignore imminent, clear warnings? But they do all the time. And tragically, it happens in this culture, in this day and age, you know, signs happen. People are warned about things. It's not going to happen to me. I'll blow that off. No big deal. I'm told, uh, I'm reminded not to, you know, in this, in this season, don't put my hands on doorknobs without using some antibacterial. Well, I learned that lesson. I, I, I that warning has sunk in now, all right? Yeah, 
floozies and stop touching everything and licking your fingers. Okay. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, it sink, sink, took me 55 years, right? Happens all the time. You know, earlier this year, on May the 30th, 2018, the Kilauea volcano on the big island of Hawaii popped its cork. Boom. Eruption. I want to read you some excerpts about this eruption. I read in uh, Forbes magazine, Fortune magazine, a couple articles. They really captured my attention. Talked about the insurance issues. Uh, This land uh, back in the the late 80s, or it was even the early 80s, there was a a pop of one of these volcanoes. And um, by about 1989, 90, the insurance company said, we're not going to insure that land anymore. They just walked away from it. Kind of makes sense to me. You build your house next to a volcano, who's going who's gonna to insure it, right? And then the state of Hawaii said, oh, no, that's bad. So they passed a law. You want to do, do insurance business in Hawaii, you got to contribute to the fund that covers the properties next to the, the volcano eruptions. So, so, so I read some of these articles. i give you some excerpts. It says the... Uh, Eruption that started May the 3rd destroyed hundreds of homes and sent lava rolling over entire beach communities. A geothermal power plant was covered. The island's largest freshwater lake evaporated and picturesque Kapoa Bay was completely filled in. The total volume of lava erupted since May exceeds the total volume from three of the largest eruptive events in the area over the past two centuries combined. Rivers of lava destroyed over 600 homes, making it the most destructive eruption in modern times. The resulting damage far surpassed the 215 homes destroyed by lava during a similar eruption of Kilauea in 1983. One of the reasons for this devastating loss, affordable land and insurance. In the 1990s, private insurance companies, after suffering millions of dollars in losses, stopped insuring land in lava zones one and two. See, see they, they actually set up lava zones. Doesn't even make sense. You can go build on a lava zone. So lava zone one, that's the worst. Lava zone two, there was, I think, four. No, uh... In response, lawmakers created the Hawaii Property Insurance Association to insure homes in areas where lava risk was high. The law requires private insurance companies to pool their money to subsidize the expense of offering insurance in high-risk lava zones. What resulted was a construction boom. Oh, wow. No kidding. Makes sense. In the high-risk lava zones. Today's hazard could have been avoided if Hawaii's leaders paid more attention when private insurance companies said the area is too risky to insure. But instead, they ignored the signals from the private insurance companies that said it was too dangerous. And so did people moving to Hawaii. Chris moved to the Big Island with his family this past November. The 38-year-old father from Alberta, Canada, visited the state four times to figure out where the family would live, and he settled on Leelani Estates, a community of about 1,600 residents where the land was cheap. Though he was aware their property sat in Lava Zone 1, 
He said, the neighborhood looks so old, I assumed it'd been a while since the last eruption. We knew there was a risk, but thought it would be a while before something happened. Chris said, wow, they heard it was coming. It's been a while since the last one. The volcano's going to pop. People are talking about it. Well, they've been saying that for years. Really? I mean, come on. The last big eruption was in 1983. That's over 30 years ago. You know, for Chris, the guy in the article, it was almost 35 years ago. Really? It's not going to happen. No way. Who is that sounding the alarm? Who are all these alarmists? Oh, my goodness. That's the boy who cried wolf. The land is cheap. I'm getting in. Building my house. Then a river of lava rolls into the neighborhood. And let me tell you, you're not going to stop lava. Yeah, get out the garden hose and fight that. No, it's going to roll over your house, and it did, tragically. I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of this. It just is kind of bizarre to me that someone would say, oh, I'll build in a lava zone. Yeah, the, you have your house destroyed by a, by a rolling uh, bulldozer of molten rock. I mean, that's some wake-up call, isn't it? That is some wake-up call. And why? Why? I just didn't believe it would happen. It's not going to happen to me. No way. I've said it. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get the flu. I think if we're all honest, we say these kinds of things. It's not going to happen to me. I hear all the prognosticators, the warners. It's not going to happen to me. You know, sadly... That is the way the world looks at God and what the Word of God says and what God says. You know, the the world says, yeah, that's just stories. That's make-believe. It's fiction. It's fantasy. And I'm not going to pay any attention to it. I'm going to ignore it. And sadly, that's sometimes the way the people of God. Yes, the people of God, sometimes that's the way they see God and his word. And that's the way it was in the time of Ezekiel. I mean, these people in Jerusalem, these were God's people. And it it, it was kind of like this. It was kind of like this, I think, in Jerusalem in the time of Ezekiel. Imagine for a moment, you're like that guy that built his house in in the riskiest of places, Lava Zone 1. Now you've stood by and you have watched your house consumed. Yeah, you heard all the warnings. You heard it was coming and then you watched it come. You actually saw this river destroy your home and all your possessions. They're gone. They're uh, completely gone. Now someone tells you, hey, you know, life's not all that bad. 
I have a great piece of property for you. It is affordable. It's picturesque. It's a great place for you and your family. And let me give you this little flyer that describes the land. Oh, yeah, you look it all over. It looks beautiful. It's captivating. But there's a little note on the bottom that says, oh, because of all the recent volcanic activity, Lava Zone 1's been increased. And your new lot sits in Lava Zone 1. Hello, are you awake? You know, was losing your house to the flow of lava big enough wake-up call? Or are you going to ignore that little asterisk that tells you and warns you? Are you going to insist? Eh, it must be wrong. Never going to happen again. You going to plunk down your deposit on that lot? See, this is what the people in Ezekiel's time were doing. They're buying the lot because they'd already seen destruction. They had already seen warnings come to pass. And they're buying the lot. In Ezekiel's time, he wasn't preaching in Jerusalem. He was in Babylon. Why was he in Babylon? Well, because the people had already experienced the eruption of a volcano. They had already experienced a foreign power coming in to their beloved city and seizing it and taking people captive. As a matter of fact, by the time Ezekiel was taken, it was a second time. They knew it was coming. They had the prophets telling them over and over again, it's coming, it's going to happen. Isaiah... Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied these very words. A besieging army is coming from a distant land and a war cry is rising against the cities of Judah. They surround her because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. He prophesied this. They lived through it. The army did come like a volcano erupting. Nebuchadnezzar's army from Babylon come to Jerusalem, surrounds the city, takes the people captive. They lose their homes. They lose their livelihoods. Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem telling them, it's going to come again. Just turn back to God. And Ezekiel is in captivity, and he's saying the same thing to the people. As a matter of fact, he's not only saying it, he has got to act it out with all this shaking and trembling and crawling through his walls and digging holes and, 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 and having to eat this disgusting bread. And how is it that the people listened? I mean, consider it. How would you listen? You have lost everything. You know, these prophets seem to be accurate time and again. And this is how the people listened to Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 12, 26 to 28. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the Israelites are saying the vision he sees is for many years from now. And he prophesies about the distant future. Therefore, say to them, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the sovereign Lord. So after losing home, country, everything, and seeing that what the warning people, the prophets, those who are bringing the warning, what they have said has exactly come to pass, was that a big enough wake-up call? Were the people ready to listen? No, absolutely not. What are they saying? The vision of the prophet, (laughs) that's not going to happen. Hey, must have got lucky a few times and he was right. (laughs) Third time, never going to happen. No way. It's not going to happen. That's going to be many years from now. I'm going to live through this. I'll be fine. I'm here in Babylon. I'm digging my little irrigation channel. They let me build a little hut. I'm, life's good. And this guy's telling me to turn back to God, really? Uh-uh. No worries. I'm good. You know what they're saying in essence? The word of God does not apply to me. I'm going to ignore it. You know, even though God's word has come to pass time and again, and even though we've lost everything and we're working in a foreign land digging ditches and we're under foreign rulers and they've got us under, our thumb, under their thumbs, that word is not for us. And that attitude is still prevalent today. The world ignores the word of God. What it says is not going to happen. Those are myths and fables. But it's not so much the world as it is also in the church. It's a church issue. No, I don't want to depress you, but challenge you that it's not a church issue. But unfortunately, too many in the church who profess Christianity, they might say things like we heard earlier this morning. God isn't alive. Man, I'm not really, I, I can believe a few things, but God's not alive. You know, what else did we hear from, from Romans 12? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. But so many will say, the word of God, that part don't apply to me. That doesn't, no, no, that, uh, no, no, no. Not for me. You know, those parts are inconvenient. And what are some of those perhaps inconvenient parts? Now, I could rattle off many, many of them. And you might know your own. You might know the areas of the Word of God that, it's just, can't deal with that one. Uh, Sex before marriage. Hey, we're engaged. Come on, we're engaged. We're good. Don't tell me that. I know. Hey, we're living together. Come on. We're going to get married. What's the problem? We're just waiting till we have enough money and then we'll get married because we want to have a big party. You know, if I change the numbers on this little spreadsheet, no one's going to know. No one will know. And guess what? I'll get that annual bonus. Just one little change. Save. Who's going to check? That'll pass right through. I've done it before. 
And you know, I deserve it. I know, hey, I missed my numbers a couple of months. What's the big deal? I deserve that bonus. I'm going to get it. What do you mean this isn't a fair? We've had lunch a few times. What's the big deal? So what? We went to a movie. You know, I need somebody to talk to. I need a caring companion. I need a listening ear. That does not apply to me. Lying, cheating, stealing. You know, we can do all these things and defend it and rationalize it and justify it. And sometimes we do. But what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now that is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing in, uh, to a church in the city of Ephesus. You know, that was chapter 5. And you might hear that and say, please, wait a second. I come to church every single week. I put something in the offering plate. I'm not hurting anyone. Times have changed since then. Come on, there's some cultural things you're, you're not telling me about for that particular passage. God loves me. He cares for me. He understands what I'm going through. Don't you see that? And it's okay. He knows I need this money for my family to pay the bills. He knows it. He knows it. And you're being too black and white. God's wrath. Seriously? That is an Old Testament, old-fashioned concept. So why is the apostle in the new covenant writing about the wrath of God falling on the disobedient? That is God's word. And that's just plain and straightforward. It's God's word. God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. We might try to wiggle out from under it. We can't. We can try our hardest. We can rationalize it with God. God, you get it, don't you? You get it. I know you get it. Yeah, you made me. You know me. You understand me. But you know what it is? It's building your house right next to a volcano. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. That is what we do. When we rationalize away the word of God and say, "That, that really doesn't apply to me, I have got my out. What you're doing is you're, you're building in Lava Zone 1. I'll take my chances. That's, that's kind of what we'd say. I'll take my chances. That just doesn't apply to me. It's not going to happen to me. No. I want to go back to Ezekiel 12. How did Ezekiel reply when the people said this? How did he reply when they said, it's for many years, distant future, ain't going to happen to me? This is what the sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. 
Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the sovereign Lord. In other words, God's not going to let it slide. He isn't. He isn't going to overlook sin. Is he patient? Yes. Is he long-suffering? Yes. Is he going to let it go? No. Sin has consequences. And whatever God says will be fulfilled. And what does God say? And I'll bring this to the, the new covenant, the New Testament. So we're not saying, oh, that's the old fashioned. This is the new. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul writing to this church in Galatia do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, death. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Great contrast. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what would you like? Life or death? You want the burning flow of lava rolling through the neighborhood? Or the gift of God? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, that's God's free offer. Free. But he asks that we turn from sin. That we turn from rationalizing and justifying and saying that doesn't apply to me. Stop explaining it. Don't justify it. Quit making the excuses. Because the word of God, it is not for many years from now. It is not about the distant future. The word of God applies to the here and the now. It applies to this very moment. God's word is not delayed. So will you choose life or death? There's no part way. You know, you, you, can't, you, you can't hope that, oh, that lava flow, gee, I can put one leg in it. i stay over here on the cool side, but I'll stick in the... No, your leg will burn off. It will. It cannot be part way. It cannot be halfway. There is no halfway with Jesus. He wants us completely. Are you in a lava zone? Wake up. God will not be mocked. Step away. Run away. Resist the devil and he'll flee. You know, Jesus offers us that grace right now. His word, it's, it's not delayed. It isn't, uh, it isn't for some distant future. It's not for tomorrow. Right here, right now. And it's real and it's authentic and it's genuine. 